come on to open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been deceived? Even maybe deceived by somebody who was supposed to care for you or take care of you or someone you trusted? It's a terrible thing. And we come in uh, Paul's letter now and we looked at last week some things that he was in his endeavor struggling to bring truth to the Colossians. Struggling to give them um, truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. To keep them, as it says in verse 4 of chapter 2, look at what he said. I tell you these things so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Skip down to verse 8 of chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And then over on page Verse 16 of chapter 2, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a Sabbath day, or new moon celebration. These are shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility, worship of angels, disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail but what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with all idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. This uh, idea of false teachers and deceivers, it uh, throughout Scripture uses the word deceit 32 times, deceitful 26 times, deceive 32 times. And in Scripture tells us, evil men will go from bad to worse, deceiving and be de- being deceived. It says that terrible times will come and men will abandon the truth and follow deceiving spirits. And if you've been deceived... and it was discovered at least, you know how that can wreck your own life and cause breakdown in trust. And Paul said, I wanted you to be, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart. Deceit would strike right at the center of that. United in love, deceit would strike at the center of that so that you might have complete understanding. The opposite of complete understanding would be areas of deception. In order that you may know the mystery of God, 
namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and deceit would attack all those things. So he tells them, I write this to tell you, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by finding sounding arguments. Now this morning I'm just going to introduce a whole can of worms about what might be deceit, deception, um, the definition of the word deceit, a catching or an ensnaring. And the interesting thing about deception, the sad thing about deception, the scary thing about deception, you could be deceived, and the point is you don't even know it. You're, you're caught. Deceit, the misleading of a person, the leading another person to believe what is false or lead them to not believe what is true. Fraud, fallacy, deceitful, tending to mislead. So what we call a person deceitful when they tend to mislead people. That was the word deceit and deceitful. Here's the definition of deceive, to mislead the mind, to cause error, to cause to believe what is false, to take from, to rob, to cheat. So when you were deceived and it became known you were deceived, that's why you felt the way you felt. It's wrong. You're robbed, you're cheated, you're misled, misguided. Tons and tons of ramifications. So Paul writes to them, I tell you this so that you may not, no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Let's take a second and pray. Father, we all need your help because your word tells us that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? Who can know it? And even we ourselves, we can be self-deceived, let alone being deceived by someone else. And that's part of this journey we're on, part of... uh, learning truth from air, part of growing in our walk with You, part of recognizing our own ignorance and arrogance in thinking that we've got things figured out and we can do it our way instead of Your way. Help us to uh, glean from Your Word and understand the importance of knowing truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to, as I read through that passage, there, I wanted to just highlight again. He talked about uh, deception through fine-sounding arguments. He talked about hollow and deceptive philosophies. talked about human traditions. talked about the basic principles of this world. Rules about food and drink. Uh, rules about religious festivals, new moon celebrations, Sabbath days. And then again, he repeats the basic principles of this world and then human commands and teaching. There's a lot of opportunity for deception there. Lots of opportunity for deception. I think about just the basic principles of this world. How do we know things? Well, trust your senses. Trust your reason. And if that doesn't work, power. And if that doesn't work, just go with uh, uh, whoever has the biggest weapon wins. 
That's a basic principle of the world without any intervention from God. No God, no truth. Deception through fine-sounding arguments and hollow deceptive philosophies and human traditions. Basically how to ensnare people, control people, manipulate people for your own good. Rules about food and drink. And this is just a, a glossing overview. We'll talk about these things as we come to them more. But do you realize that people use food and drink to think that food or drink makes them closer to God than someone else is closer to God by either what I don't eat or what I do eat. And Corinthians tells us very clearly in chapter 8, food brings us neither closer to God or away from God. And then with all the rules about uh, religious festivals and new moon Sabbaths and uh, human commands and teachings, uh, we think that by doing certain things, it makes us more valuable to God or that we're more valuable in our personhood when Scripture tells us clearly God doesn't show favoritism. So we'll have to unpack some of these things because the deception, the point of deception is that we are deceived by it and we don't know. Deception through, whether it be through fine-sounding arguments or empty and hollow philosophies, human traditions, the basic principles of this world, all those things are false and they can be used as false doctrines to deceive people. For the Colossians, it was the deception about who He is, who Christ is, that He came in the flesh, that who He was in His person. That's why it goes in so detail. He says He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And Paul gives this description of the person and the character and the nature of Christ. And then he talks about specifically what he did. Because people in that day were trying to deceive them. So again, some broad brushstrokes today. Some of the philosophies there were basically about the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And that's why we've gone carefully over the description of the nature and the person of Jesus as opposed to the, the lies of the enemy that, and the deceivers that would give to give false pictures of Jesus. But as we go through to the, some of the bigger pictures, one of the most dangerous and all pervasive deceptions is to lead people to believe that truth is divided into different categories. And the first division is in Romans chapter 1. If you would just turn there quickly with me, and then we'll go back, and I'll try not to travel too many places. But in Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 18 that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Suppressing the truth by your wickedness is deceptive. It could be a philosophy that's hollow. It could be a fine-sounding argument, but it's deceptive. He goes on and says in verse 19 of chapter 1, Since what may be known about God, that's the truth about God, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
having been understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their foolish but their thinking became futile and their foolish heart were darkened. Although, claimed, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God. Basically, the glory of God is the truth of God. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's the first division of truth that happened in the, starting in the garden. Did God really say? They began to question the truth. So the division we find in Romans goes all the way back to Genesis that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that basically leads to everyone doing what is right in his own eyes, which has led to everyone defining what truth is for themselves. First you had God's truth, and you'll find God's truth everywhere. If there's truth anywhere in the world, it's God's truth. Then they separate, we humans separate God's truth here and man's truth over here as opposed to God's truth, as if there was anything that could be opposed to God's truth that's really true. You're going to have to put your thinking caps on over these next few minutes, and I had to put my thinking cap on to try to even uh, sift through some of this deception and lies. It went from man's truth, we rejected God's truth, and we have man's truth, and now it's become every man's truth, every woman's truth, every child's truth. And we decide for ourselves now what truth is. But truth, outside of me, over me, above me, discovered by research, revealed by God, objective truth, that's the only truth there is. Truth that's inside me and created by me and changeable and subjective, those are opinions. And we're going to paint a clear, begin to paint a clear picture that truth is one thing, his opinion is another thing. And when you remove God from the picture, you remove the source of objective truth. And so the second division in history is the scientific facts as truth. And what they mean by that is scientific facts tell us what truth is and only what fits in the test tube, only what can be tested scientifically is truth versus religious truth or spiritual truth, which has to do with faith and fairy tales as a matter of opinion for the weak and simple-minded. So this, this deception, can you imagine in the town of Colossae and Laodicea there where Paul's teaching them and, ha and sending this letter, and they're saying he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. And then the deceivers come on, and they just say, oh, really? Who, who is this Jesus? Who is this God? And they begin to formulate their arguments. So, coming down and separating God's truth into religious truth as if there was such a separation is another hollow and deceptive lie. That Jesus Christ was a historical figure is the same truth as that George Washington was a historical figure. That Peter Pan 
And Jesus Christ, in the same category of truth, is a bull-faced lie. The most common and prevalent per- pervasive deception through fine-sounding arguments today that we deal with today is called postmodernism. And that's the modern thought, the leading thought on pretty much every university today and every high school today is postmodernism. It's a philosophy which rejects the notion of a universal overarching truth and reduces all ideas to social constructs shaped by class, gender, ethnicity. In postmodernism, all viewpoints, all lifestyles, all behaviors, all beliefs are regarded as equally valid. There's staggeringly dangerous consequences for these deceptive, fine-sounding arguments. If all ideas are equal and valid, where does right and wrong, good and evil, go? Nothing is worth our allegiance. Nothing is worth defending or even arguing about. Basically, when you take away the absolutes, when you remove truth as a standard, as a compass, truth is reduced to anyone's perception of it. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And absurdity becomes the new norm. Deception from fine-sounding arguments. Here's a couple of thoughts on that. Here's a deception from a fine-sounding argument. Choices have no consequences. You know, young people, your body is your body. You do whatever you want with it. The government or your parents or both or someone will make up for your bad behavior and your bad choices and they won't affect you. That's a hollow and empty philosophy. You need not pay for your choices. There's no consequences for choices. If it feels good for you, this is a, this is a lie. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you a deception. And a hollow and deception, I want to make that clear because this is so pervasive in our culture. If it feels good for you, it must be right. Think clearly about that. Think thoughtfully about that. That's what our people are being told today in vast numbers. If it feels good for you, that's how you decide right from wrong. If it makes you happy, it must be true. If it makes you uncomfortable, if it takes effort or sacrifice, it must be wrong. Those are hollow and deceptive philosophies. Those are de- that's deception in arguments that may sound. And I'm not going to purport any of those arguments today, but I just want us to begin to understand. So there was a whole philosophy called modernity, basically. And uh, that developed to the philosophy and the idea that permeated culture, which now we have uh, postmodernism. But modernity said that if truth exists... And again, I'm relating to the categories of truth. Only science can tell us what is true. If it doesn't fit in the test tube, it can't be verified. Now listen, that throws things out like the historical birth of Abraham Lincoln. Because you can't put that in test tube. 
And so they, we have to think carefully what people are saying. Spiritual truth, this is what modernity said, spiritual truth, if there is such a thing, can't be verified. Science trumps spiritual truth because science can be tested. Science is based on facts. Religion is based on merely faith and speculation. And then postmodernism took another jump, and postmodernism says if truth exists at all, it cannot be knowable to any degree of certainty. So basically, your guess is as good as my guess. So it's not really necessary to defend truth at all because it could change tomorrow. Truth is elusive. Truth is pliable, changeable. Truth is relative. And everyone basically is entitled to their own truth. You can kind of see, I hope, where this might be headed. So God and truth are inseparable if we want to have any guide or standard or logic or reason. If a person can't tolerate the thought of God, there's simply no place in their worldview also for objective truth. Objective truth for all subjects. Do you know that whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a Muslim or not, whether you're Chinese, Japanese, black, white, Two plus two is four, right? It's not Christian, it's truth. And so when you are marginalized by society, that only truth for them can fit in is what fits in a test tube, we're not rejecting what's in the test tube. Any truth confirms the truth of truth, truth in its nature. To reject God is to reject truth. To reject God is to lose the final judge of what really is ultimate truth. We lose the standard. All truth is God's truth. When truth is discovered in math, science, biology, sociology, this is God's truth. Remove God and the basic for truth. The reason for truth is replaced by man's fine-sounding arguments, hollow and empty philosophy. The nesting authentic understanding of the fundamental concept of truth is the acknowledgement of one true God. You haven't really grasped the truth at all if there's no sense in which it touches your life and every aspect of your thinking and your behavior. If truth is absolute... That means you don't waver like truth is flexible. Two plus two is four, whether it's cold outside, whether you're at the north of the equator, south of the equator, two plus two is four. That means right is right and wrong is wrong. Whether you're at home in your room alone, whether you're with a group of a group of people. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Truth is truth regardless of my acceptance or rejection of it. Truth is fixed and constant. Culture changes. The weather changes. You and I change. Opinions change. Truth does not change. I've been doing a little reading this week. I wanted to share a couple thoughts for what's happening in our larger culture. 
in this uh, sound finding or fine sounding arguments and hollow and deceptive philosophy and the dismantling of truth. Rights belong only to persons. So if someone can be reduced to a non-person, then he or she has no rights. Now there's some truth in that, but there's also some deception in it. Because if I decide what personhood is, rather than God deciding who personhood is, then I'll decide if you're valuable or not. And I'll decide whether or not your value equates your living or existing. Peter Singer, now the newly appointed DeCamp Professor of Bioethics at Princeton, Princeton openly advocates permitting parents to kill disabled babies on the basis that they are non-persons until they are rational and self-conscious. That would mean people that are struggling through a mental illness, they might not be rational. So is Peter Singer advising we take them out? As non-persons, he says, they're replaceable like chickens or other livestock. And Singer does not stop there. He goes on to advocate killing incompetent persons of any age if their families decide their lives are not worth living. This is unspeakably inhumane, that brand of ethics. And that's what some of our nation's most prestigious schools are now teaching and the students are now learning. And what happens when these elite students move to positions of power? So there's fine-sounding arguments. There's hollow and empty philosophies at every level of what's happening. A couple others. Thinking about uh, sexual behavior is a prime example. Sexual relationships outside marriage are responsible for the spread of STDs for most of abortions, for fatherless homes, for the chronic welfare dependency. But this social wreckage caused by sex educators to teach young people to refrain, did this cause educators to teach young people to refrain from sex outside of marriage? Hardly. From the 1960s through the 1980s, public school education programs and their advocates were adamant that sexual activity was entirely a matter of the student's personal choice. And that's gotten younger and younger and younger. And when the inevitable consequences followed, these same educators pressed for government solutions to to bandage over the negative effects. To avoid STDs, the government supplied condoms in the schools. When homosexual promiscuity led to fatal diseases, the government was blamed and shamed into picking up the tab for more research. When sex led to pregnancy, the government was expected to pay for abortions or supply welfare support for fatherless families. The attitude began in the 1960s when a new concept of public morality took hold, stated boldly in the words of sociologist Christopher Jenks. Speaking of fatherless families, Jenks argued that if people truly prefer a family consisting of a mother, children, and a series of transient males, then it is hardly the federal government's proper business to try to alter this choice. What is the government's business then? It ought to invent ways of providing such single families with the same physical and psychological necessities of life 
available to other kinds of families. Note carefully what Jenks is saying. The government must not seek to help shape the nation's moral climate or discourage irresponsible behavior. Instead, it's its job to invent ways to compensate for any disadvantages created by bad choices people make. The government is supposed to make sure people have their cake and eat it too. It goes, um, there's more and more that we will look at, but the fact that truth is being undermined today is no surprise. But it is a surprise when we miss out on the deceptive nature of it. And so Paul says, I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Let me share just a few more thoughts as we wrap this up. Introduction. Truth is absolute. Truth is not changing. You can change. I can change. We can develop. We can grow. We can learn. Think about the truth of gravity. We can work with it, but gravity doesn't change. The truth of poison. We can work with it, but if you mislabel a bottle of poison and put on their happy pills because you want to believe they're happy pills, it's still poison. The truth of air, the fact that we need air, it's a universal truth. The truth that fire burns, the truth that water freezes. Ultimate truth is an objective reality. Truth exists outside of us and remains the same regardless of how we may feel, how we may perceive it or accept it. I cannot identify as a 99-year-old woman. No matter how much I want to identify that, that's not the truth. You can't identify as a cat if you're a human being. It's not true. These are some of the things that are being foisted all the universities across the nation in the liberal sense, except maybe some Christian universities that are holding to the truth. Truth is truth regardless of my acceptance or rejection. Truth is fixed and constant. Cultures change, weather changes, you and I change. Opinions change. Truth does not. Our point of view can change, and we can learn and develop. We just do discover, but truth itself does not change. We can and be, and we are often wrong, but truth is never wrong. The nature of truth is not wrong. We're not entitled to re redefine truth, to fit our own personal preferences or desires. Truth is truth, whether I like it or dislike it whether I believe it or understand it or reject it. There are not two true categories of truth, one for the Christian and one for the non-Christian. Human beings have blood in their bodies, and that blood stays inside their bodies and their living beings. Whether I'm black, white, red, Asian, whether I'm north of the equator, south of the equator, it's not a Christian belief. It's a truth. What is really truth is true for everyone, whether I'm Christian or not. Jesus rose from the dead, whether I'm a Christian or not. Water boils at 212 degrees, whether I'm a Christian or not. I'm a white male, age 55. It's true, whether I'm a Christian or not. Murder, racism, hatred is wrong. That is true, whether you're Christian or not. So, 
just think if you we'd go back to Paul's day. There was hollow and deceptive philosophies. There was arguments and fine-sounding arguments going on. But think about since that time till today and what's going on right now. A couple simple things. Food is a staple for human existence. That's true, whether you believe it or not. These are, there's absolute truths that are true, whether you're a Christian or not. Truth is not Christian or Jewish or Russian or American. Truth is reality. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. And God is the center of reality. When the Bible says Jesus is truth, He said that Himself. And it says in Colossians there, all these things are a shadow. The reality is Christ. We have to wrap this up. Final statement. The New Testament definitely presents the Christian faith as a matter of concrete, cognitive, reasonable, objective truth. Because Christianity is not primarily a matter of feeling or even of action, but a religion of factual belief. Factual belief that results in genuine religious experience and meaningful social action because it is objective truth. The chemical composition of water is true for the Christian as well as the non-Christian. Namely, because it's truth. The same holds true for the historical life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the hope of glory because He's the way, the truth, and the life. Father, thanks for Your Word. Thanks for this objective truth. Help us, God, to read the Scripture and everything else we read with humility, with attention rather than just going along with the culture. Help us to wrestle and grasp objective reality, truth. Your Word says that it is truth. And that the truth will sanctify us. And we need to bathe in the truth. We need to be clear that there is hollow and deceptive philosophies that are not based on truth, but they're fine-sounding arguments that would lead us away from truth. Help us as we give care to think clearly. In Jesus' precious name, amen.